This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 158 of the Skate Podcast. I am Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And over the weekend, the Bruins, for the first time all year, lost consecutive games back-to-back. The first one was to Tampa Bay. We discussed that on the last episode. It was a great 40 minutes, and then a lackluster final 20 kind of cost them in that one. Then they traveled south to Sunrise, Florida, where... They almost snaked a victory away from Florida, I think, and we'll we'll talk about it. It wasn't the Bruins' best game, but they did score a goal in the final minute and then eventually gave that one away. And then uh, 23 hours later, they have to travel a little bit north to Raleigh, and they lose to the Hurricanes just from minute one to minute 60. They were, they were outplayed, outworked, out-executed, all that stuff. That said, the Bruins are off to... Historic start this year. Um, This is really their first trip up. And I think I speak for the entire podcast. Like Nobody on this podcast is panicking at all. Um, But, guys, I want to throw it to you. Have you learned anything about the Bruins in the last couple of games going forward? Well, I think kind of bigger picture. And and I feel like, realistically, we already knew this, but it's definitely been confirmed and maybe more people will realize it now is that like, no matter what the standings say, the gap between the Bruins and other top teams isn't huge. Like there, there isn't, you know, it's not like, Oh, okay. Well, face the lightning in the playoff series, oh, they'll win in four or five. Like, no, like I think you look at teams like Tampa, Toronto, Carolina, you would still expect those to be long playoff series and tough series to win. And I felt like that before, but certainly after this three game stretch where it's like, all right, Tampa was right there with you and took the victory in the third period. Like that's a really good team that has won the conference three years in a row. Uh, Carolina. Now, you know, the Carolina game on Sunday, like I feel like that was their worst game of the three. And yet, also in a weird way, like sort of the least concerning because it was a back-to-back you're playing, you know, less than 24 hours after your last game, like, and obviously against a really good team with travel on the road. So you sort of expected that one, like, like the Florida one is the one that really got away. That's the one where I think you most feel like they should have won. I don't think Florida is quite as good as Tampa or Carolina. I do think, you know, they're obviously not bad. They're they're fighting for a playoff spot. Um, but getting that pass in our goal in the final minute and then letting it slip away because, honestly, they kind of just botched some basics in the defensive zone. They had two chances to clear and didn't. Carlo tried to tie the puck up along the boards with, like, 15 seconds left, which is just too much time to try to do that. Like, you've got to keep playing hockey at that point, and you know, the, the play that you should be making is to try to get the puck out of the zone, not tie it up and try to run the clock out. Um, so just a couple slip ups there. You know, I also thought Carlo got cross checked, but I, I don't think the refs were ever going to call it in that situation. Um, so that's the one that got away. And then, but Carolina, yeah, it's a team that's been playing really well. And, you know, you catch the Bruins on second of a back to back when they're struggling a little and, they can beat you. Like we saw that team beat the Bruins plenty last year, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. So that would be my big takeaway is like, I still think the Bruins when they're going and when they're healthy are the best team in the NHL, but it's not like they're head and shoulders above some other great teams in the league. And we've, we've seen a couple of them during this three game losing streak. 
Yeah, and I feel like we were talking about it right before the road trip started that Carolina was probably going to be the the toughest game because it was a back-to-back, but also because of the size. And, like, you're playing against guys like Brent Burns, and some some guys did end up getting pushed around a little bit more than um, we've seen the Bruins get pushed around in other games this season. So, And I know, Brian, you noticed that as well. And another thing that you brought up in our group chat last night, was, which was that um, Pasternak maybe had his worst game of the season. He did, but it's it's one of those things where obviously, you know, he's at 38 goals before the All-Star break, could get to 39 or 40 for all we know uh, on Wednesday in Toronto. He is one of the best offensive players in the world, but against the Hurricanes is one of those games where his turnovers, which he tends to have pretty frequently despite all of his greatness as a player, um, cost him and cost the team on that Sebastian Alho goal. Now, for me, it's like it wasn't even just a David Pasternak thing. It's it, Carolina. There and Bridget, you just mentioned their size. We t- we've talked about it in previous episodes leading up to this this slate of games because I think the travel and the schedule is real. Like I, I'm not in the business of making excuses, but the Bruins were set up for failure on Sunday in Carolina. I knew that they weren't going to likely win that game. It would have taken a miracle performance from Walmart or something stupid for them to a power play goal, maybe to help them win that game. <laughs> um, but Carolina schedule aside and, 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 and fatigue aside, Carolina, this was not a one-off game, right? They've been giving the Bruins fits, especially in Carolina. The Bruins cannot play against this team in Raleigh. They look like they forget how to play hockey. And I really do think that a lot of that is because of, the size and the compete factor of Carolina and a news flash for Boston. Carolina is not getting any smaller come playoffs. And I do think the roads of the Stanley cup is going to have to go through a conference final in all likelihood against the hurricanes. And that's why I more so look at them big picture. The Bruins have plenty of work to do before that. Right. But I do think that you're not, you know, this isn't the last of the hurricanes that you will see this year. And um, th- their style of play their size, um, it gives it gives the Bruins fits like no other team in the conference right now. Yeah, and yeah. they just clogged up. Like the Bruins could not make a single entry. Like in the third period, it was just it got ugly. Like they had a really hard time in transition against that team. They played them really tightly, and they didn't give them any extra space. And that's how they played in the playoffs against the Bruins last year too. Yeah, both five and five in on the power play, like they couldn't get entries. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure we're going to get to the power play more too. Like that was obviously a huge issue in these three games going over 12, but you know, in Carolina, I mentioned this like last week, I think also a team that could get a lot better because they have Max Pacioretty, $7 million now sitting on long-term IR. He's out for the season. They barely had him before he got re-injured. So that's a team with some money to spend at the deadline that can go out and make a big move, you know, and like, I mentioned Bo Horvat before it could be him. It could be someone else that we're not thinking of, but um, with so many teams really cash strapped and up against the cap, like there's one that actually has some money to be able to make a bigger move. So they're already a really good team and they certainly could get even better to the point about the power play. Like I, I don't think there's anything to panic about long-term, and Montgomery said so um, in his post-game press conference against – or not press conference, but with Jack and Brick um, after the Carolina game was just like, our power play isn't going to look like this all the time. Um, this has just been a bad two games for us on the power play. So um, I don't I don't see that being a huge long-term issue, but it just did not look good at all. Um, and I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on just – how they weren't able to set things up on the power play against Carolina or what went wrong for them in particular against that team. Well, to me, it's not just that team. Like Carolina does have a really good penalty kill for sure. And that's an issue, but I mean, they went over 12 across three games. So the problem started before Carolina and really seemed to just compound. Like, I don't know if they were getting in their, in their own heads, but the entries have just been so poor, like guys just skating into traffic and turning it over. 
skating into the to each other in the case of Taylor Hall and Hampus Lindholm on Sunday. Um, then they like they tried to simplify it and started doing more dump and chase as Sunday's game went on, and that looked even worse because they they were dumping in with no one having speed to go after it and like putting it in bad spots. Carolina was easily retrieving it and clearing it down, and it's just like. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, they have to change something. I think the issue is more with them than any one penalty kill in particular, honestly. Like, Jim Montgomery, it's interesting. He kind of struck two different tones after Saturday and Sunday's games, where Saturday night when he was asked about the power play, he was was about as critical as Montgomery gets, uh, which is obviously, you know, still not Bruce Cassidy levels of critical. But he said, like, Basically, we got outworked. Uh, you know, our power play got outworked, and that's why we didn't have any zone time. And then Sunday, he struck a more optimistic note and said, uh, I'm not worried about our power play. We're too talented, and our guys are too determined. And it's like, all right, well, that's fine. Like, there's some truth to that. But also, last night, like you told us that you got outworked. And I think that was probably the more accurate answer of what's going wrong in the power play. Um I do think they'll get it figured out. Like to Montgomery's point, there is too much talent there. They've had too much success and these things happen. Like, like unless you're the Oilers and maybe even the Oilers, sometimes like you tend to go through ups and downs on the power play and on special teams in general, you know, throw the penalty kill in there. Um, But you've got to do the work to make it right. Like it's not, just going to happen right now the Bruins look like they're in a spot where it's almost like they're waiting for it to get easy again instead of making it easy again on the power play I I I find that the Bruins are playing very individualistic as opposed to playing as a cohesive five-man unit and I think that look Carolina's one thing we've talked about their size and their compete level they take away time and space and they gap up pretty pretty quick and pretty efficiently but to Scott's point, this is not a Carolina thing. This is a Bruins thing, and, and they've struggled against other teams too as, as of late. And I think there's a couple of key uh, philosophies on the power play that the Bruins just haven't been implementing um, in this recent stretch of struggles that they usually do, right? And um, one of that is you got to be strong in the faceoff circle. Every power play starts in the attacking zone, and, and, and Bergeron's had a bit of a struggle lately in the dot. Now, what's the remedy to that? Well, Nothing. You're not replacing Patrice Bergeron as a, as a center, as a face-off man. So he just needs to work his way out of that, and he will. Be, Second, be better at cheating like Steven Stamkos. Yeah, exactly. Um, secondly, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Create that – get that first shot on goal in the first 10, 15 seconds. Get the penalty kills going. And thirdly, retrieve pucks. The Bruins have been – you're supposed to outnumber – your opposition on a power play when it's a loose puck. That's why you have the extra attacker. That's why you have the extra man. And the Bruins have been getting outnumbered on the pe- on the power play, which makes no sense to me, and it speaks to a lack of hunger right now on the power play. And then lastly, Scott mentioned the transition game. Um, their entries have been terrible on the power play because they're coming with no speed, and 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 they're trying to make they're trying to make five foot passes at the blue line. Like what what do you what are you making a play for right when you cross the blue line? Like. Figure out who's who's attacking the uh, the offensive zone. Go with speed. If you want to dump it in, fine. But just be decisive. It, it, there's just too much indecision and and pretty hockey out there, and it looks for it makes for really ugly hockey. And I think a big um, factor as well we haven't talked about. Maybe you guys did when I dropped off for a second. The Bruins miss Jake DeBrusque on the on the power play right now. His yeah, his his. I was hunger, just gonna say that his hunger and 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 and, and tracking down pucks we can now definitively say he is much better at doing that than somebody like Taylor Hall. I noticed that as well. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about retrievals, like that's an area where DeBrusque has gotten so much better as as that net front guy in the power play is tracking down rebounds, misses, you know, winning races into the corner. Um, Yeah. They definitely miss him because to, to your point, like I think when Taylor Hall is on his game, he can do that. Like, I think we've seen that at times, but he's just in really all areas, not on top of his game right now. Um, And we've talked about this, you know, for a while now, even going back to when he was on the third line, they had started going quiet. He was going quiet. Um, 
they move him up to first line right wing. And last episode, we were one game into that experiment and said, uh, you know, you he, yeah, you had a quiet game, but you give it another shot. Well, now it's been three games and it's continued to be pretty quiet. And he still just looks like he's off his game. So, you know, I don't think it's really anything about what line he's on or what wing he's on. I just think he, he needs to get, he needs to find a way to get back to his game. Maybe, maybe it's going to take the all-star break. Maybe he needs a reset, but um, you know, clear. I mean, he, he got the goal, the the one goal against Caroline on a tip of Zaka's shot. But for the most part, like he, he just hasn't been playing the way that we know he's capable of playing the way that he was playing er- earlier this season. Yeah. And you would think like he would they've tried to spark him in, in different ways. And, and the only, the only thing they haven't tried recently really besides maybe a shift or like <laughs> at some point during like half of a change um, is putting him back next to Krejci because you can't, you, you just don't want to take Pasternak and Zaka. Like you don't want to split up the the check line right now, but that was how they'd gotten him going in the past. It just seems like it doesn't make sense to do it right now um, to just get him going when first of all, Zaka has been looking good uh, with Pasternak and, and Krejci right along. So um, that's, that's the one thing maybe they try. I'm, I'm not sure if that, if it's worth doing right now, because there's only one game, like you mentioned, just that game against Toronto before the all-star break. And then they're off for a while. So do you try it for a game? I don't know. You probably don't want to risk things at this point with a potential four game losing streak. Uh, especially against a team like Toronto on the road. So, um, and and you would also expect like you give someone power play one time and that gives, that should give you a much better chance of getting that goal. Like you'd, you'd want to see someone be able to use that um, opportunity and they have Hall net front and I'm not sure that's really where he's most dangerous, but it's not a bad place to, to try to score. I mean, you get the easiest goal is just taking a rebound off the pads or, or just taking a pass like backdoor down there. So, I mean, they're, they're layup goals that you get when you're playing when you're the net front guy on a power play, he just hasn't really, and, and we've mentioned this before. Sometimes the bounces haven't been great. Haven't gone his way. Um, but he's been given chances on both wings and then on the power play net front. And it just hasn't, nothing seemed to really click. Yeah. And I mean, in his defense, like they couldn't even get pucks to the net on the power play. So true. Um, but then, you know, on Sunday, Montgomery did change that where he put Krejci up on the top unit in Hall's place. And it, it basically looked like Marshan became the net front guy. Although, it, you know, sometimes that's more of a, net side guy when it's him in that spot. Um, and then, you know, Krejci in more of a playmaking spot. Hall gets to play more on the flank on the second unit. Um, but still, obviously, nothing worked. I mean, you know, when you move Krejci up to that top unit, the the idea, kind of what you're looking for, is like him to control on the, on the right flank, and then you have the three right shots that he can set up for one-timers with McAvoy, Bergeron in the bumper, Pasternak on the opposite wing. But like, again, they just never even got set up. So you don't even get to take advantage of Krejci's playmaking in that situation. Yeah. And then you don't have him on the second unit, which like you probably want him centering your, your second unit and, and setting up plays on, on that. So you, you kind of take away the firepower of, of that unit too, when you do that. And you also, and you also take away the, uh speed on the top unit in zone entries which like if 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 you're struggling to to get in the offensive zone on the power play the last thing you want to do is put Krejci back there to to slow things down even more and just make and just it just creates too many options now now it's like all right do I want to go to Krejci or Pashnak or Martian these guys because they're all capable but they just like they need to figure out like who their go-to guy is if if all else fails and how they're getting into the zone because they just keep retrieving and and it's just causing a decision and it, it's just sloppy out there. Um, but you know, I, Krejci, I have thought at times Krejci has been a pretty confident, like guy to carry the puck in though. Like he, he might be a little yeah. slower, but at times like he's a good decision maker. So sometimes he's making the move like a short pass right when he needs to, to, to get it over the line to pass knock on the wall or just like yeah. able to find the gap. So I don't think he's, he's hurting their entries really as much as, um, 
like we mentioned, just kind of changing the dynamic of it where you'd, you'd, you'd rather have him on the second unit and ideally you'll have DeBrusque back. Um, now Scott, he's, he's most likely not playing in Toronto, right? Have we gotten an official confirmation on that? I don't know if that, I don't think anything's official, but it certainly seems like they're just going to hold him out until after the all-star break at this point. Yeah. I mean, back to Krejci for a second. Like I, Bridget, you're right. His his his, his decision making when things are going well is, is is elite. I just think when the power play is struggling the way that it is, everybody's overthinking, and the last thing you want is to just make that more complicated with somebody who thinks the game is, is as much as Krejci does. Um, on Taylor Hall, do you guys find that there's just a lack of conviction and a lack of power to his game right now for such for someone who is such a strong skater, even at 31 years old, he's still in a in my opinion, a far above average skater speed wise in the, in the NHL. Um, and also off the ice, he's very built. He's very, he's a very strong individual. And I just find that there's a lack of conviction in his game. There's a lack of power, lack of net drive, a lack of confidence. And he's get he's on the ice a lot for somebody who has a skating ability and the strength that he does as, as an individual. And I don't know, I, you can chalk it up to lack of confidence or mid season blues or just like whatever, but it's, He's such he's such an important member of this team's depth if they want to win a Stanley Cup. Like he has to, he has to he has to remind himself what he's capable of because he's he's kind of cowering to to lesser players and losing a lot of one on one battles and it's you know at times just looks like a rookie out there lo- losing puck battles and it's just like well you're 31 years old you should be at the point in your career where you know you know if there's a loose puck you're gonna come up with that so I, that's something I've noticed I don't know if you guys have picked up on that of late either. Yeah, he seems he seems to be when he has the puck on his stick, he seems to be staying to the outside a lot and looking, you know, looking to set someone else up. And I feel like when he's really playing his best, he's taking in defenders and driving the net and using that speed to put defenders on their heels and you know create some chaos. Like even if it doesn't lead to a clean shot or you know a tap and pass across the crease, like it creates chaos and you know there can be a loose puck, there can be a good bounce, whatever. And right now it's almost like he's settling for pulling up, hanging out on the outside, you know, looking for someone else to make that net drive and not really putting defenders on their heels. Yeah, kind of waiting for guys to do stuff around him and, and to just try to dish it there without without doing a, um more for himself, I guess you could say. But I want to go to this question because this is something that we talked about after the Seattle game because there was articles and there was you know people talking on the radio whatnot um you know did Seattle show how like the formula to beat the Bruins and we said no like they caught him on an off night but now on this three game losing streak do you guys see some things that other teams can take away from it on you know what the Bruins like who you need to shut down or how you need to play them in the neutral zone um, you know, some keys to that you can take away from e- either Florida, Tampa, or Carolina and what they were able to do well against the Bruins. Well, sort of, but I, I still think it's more self-inflicted on the, from the Bruins' perspective than anything. Like, obviously, one thing we've seen, it, you know, we've talked about the special teams. Like, that's, like, sure, if you can – shut the Bruins power play down, then you're going to give yourselves a good, a good shot. Um, but like five on five, we, we've seen turnovers be an issue on this road trip. Um, you know, Pasnak has a bad one that leads directly to a goal. Carlo has one that leads to the third goal against Carolina where, you know, pucks on a stick in the neutral zone. All he has to do is really chip it back up the boards and get out of danger. And instead he's kind of like fumbling around with it. And, um, was it Jarvis takes it and just races in for a breakaway goal. And it's like, okay. So I guess, you know, if you want to look at that pressure, the Bruins, like be right up in their face. Don't give them any space. Don't be afraid of their playmaking or whatever, like get right on top of them and, and, you know, put them under pressure. I think the Bruins for the most part, this season have handled pressure pretty well and not turn the puck over a lot, not handed teams, great scoring chances. So I think that's fixable from the Bruins. end. like, I don't think it's like, Oh boy, if you pressure the Bruins, they're going to crack. Like, no, I think they can fix it because I've seen them be better, but 
that is one thing that I think we've seen crop up on, on this road trip that teams have been able to, to do to, um, you know, force the Bruins into mistakes. Yeah. I can't think of how, how many other times this season that you've seen guys just go on clear breakaways because of some bad play that was made in the neutral zone or on an entry, like the, the Ajo goal and the Jarvis goal, like very few times this season have guys gotten just a clean shot at like all Marcus Swayman just, and they make great moves to score. Um, and obviously you kind of hang all Mark out to dry when you, when you let them have to guard a breakaway. But um, I just can't remember many other times where they did that. I mean, I think, uh, I think the recipe to beat in Boston is no different than beating any other team. Really. It's everybody can fall to the same type of play. I think if you're tight checking, if you're physical, if you're responsible and you take care of the puck and obviously, you know, you get some, some clutch performances from key players. Anybody can really beat anybody, no matter how much depth or skill you have. But if I'm looking at, if I'm an opponent looking at Boston, for me, the first player I look to is David Pasternak. Like, if I'm an opposing coach, I'm telling my players over the course of a seven game series, I want you guys wearing him like a fur coat. Like, I want like all over him and, and, and take away his time and space and make it uncomfortable for him. I mean, the Bruins' top forwards, like Bergeron, nobody likes to get hit. Right. Unless maybe maybe some sickos like to get hit, but like Bergeron and Martian, Frederick likes to get hit for sure. Yeah. I mean, like Bergeron and Martian and Krejci, like, you know, if you can get in those guys' face and frustrate them, they're 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 human. They'll get annoyed. They'll get frustrated. They'll get off their game. Um, But you can say that about any team's top players. But for me, like. Pashnak is 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 essential to, to Boston's success. If you can get in his head, get him off his game, getting get him to turn pucks over like he did in Carolina, which again he he does turn the puck over a lot in general. That's something he has to work on. And then on the back end, you guys talked about Carlo and the Grizzly. Like I think those guys can be exposed. I really do. Uh, you take away you, you take away their time and space, and and you 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 forecheck them over seven games, and you get in their grill, and they can be exposed. It, it's 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 happened in the past, and I think like you look at. I know we're talking a lot about Carolina, but it's because they're the most recent game, but I also think they're the biggest threat to Boston in the East. Like, who on Carolina's defense, like, is afraid that they're going to, you know, get worn down over seven games because of a forechecking? Like, they didn't even have Jacob Slavin in that game. Like, who's their top defenseman, who's also, like, 6'4". So, like, I just think, and I know Carlos 6'4", 6'5", but he's a different type of 6'4". But my point is, um, I just think long-term... I think the Bruins are an awesome hockey team. I I don't think their ceiling has changed based off of these last three games. And I think they're a very complete hockey team. One of the more complete hockey teams in the league, if not the most complete. But I do think there are two areas that they need to address that would make this team 100% complete. And it's not going out there and getting a guy like Bo Horvat or somebody like that. To me, they need to, they need to get a good body on the back end like a Luke Shen that can impose the will that you saw Carolina do to Boston last night to opposing teams forwards. Like if Sebastian Ajo goes into the corner with a Luke Shen, he's going to feel it. He's not going to feel it with Matt Grizzlick. Um, and then also I think the Bruins forward core could use a little bit of speed, a little bit or, or, or quickness, somebody with some tenacity, like, like um, I'm not saying this guy in particular, but this is kind of what I'm thinking. Like a guy like Andrew Cogliano, like something like that, or, you know, a guy who, a forward who has been there, done that, has experience. I know Scott's mentioned Nick Bonino, like somebody like him too, just somebody who gets it that can add some quickness to the Bruins um, forward group in the middle six or bottom six, I think would really help round this team out. Um, and I think it would help uh, complete them and, and make the, give them the best team going into the playoffs. Yeah, Bonino's definitely not the fastest skater, so like, I feel like he would bring a little different dynamic than than quickness but um yeah i mean cogliano like that's kind of a good shout in that area the luke shen thing is interesting like to me because i i said this last week like i don't think he's playing if your top six defensemen are healthy to me he, he would be more of seventh or eighth guy so he wouldn't really bring that on a nightly basis unless someone's hurt you know brian i wonder like would you be open to a bigger move on defense, like a true top four guy? Or I mean, I think their defense is 
good enough. Like I'm not panicking over what we've seen recently. Uh, even though you know, like, yes, Brendan Carlos had a tough three games. Um, I, t- I tweeted some of the stats last night, but like during these three games, he's been on the ice for five goals against zero four. And like everything else is lopsided too. like the Corsi, the shots expected goals. It's, it's been rough, but I also think Brendan Carlo was playing really well for a long period of time before this. Um, I mean, do you like, would you, if it meant like actually tinkering with the roster, like maybe taking out a, a guy like Carlo or Grizzly like, and, and trying to upgrade that, a spot in the top four, are you open to that? Or would you not mess with the chemistry? I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Um, this team doesn't have a Stanley Cup to their name. I think that if it improves the hockey team, I absolutely do it. I, I'm more reluctant to move Carlo because of his defensive ability and the size that he does bring. And I do agree with you. He's had a good year. I'm not even talking about his last three games. I'm just saying what I've seen in the past playoff experiences with, with a couple of key guys, like sometimes they can get worn down. But if Matt Grizzlick is part of a move or, or Carlo for that matter, I'd have to know who it's for. But if it's for a more significant impact guy, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be I'd be uh, willing to upgrade this team. Absolutely. I mean, look, you have Charlie McAvoy, you have Hampus Lindholm. Um, if your name isn't one of them, then now look, somebody like Derek Forbert, he does his job very well as a penalty killer. I know there's a lot of people out there that probably don't like Forbert, um, but I, I, I like him as a third pair. The role guy he, for his role, he's he's a third pair guy that's that's blocking shots. Somebody has to do it on a cup winning team. But well, I think, by yeah. the way, Brandon Carlo also a very good penalty killer. Like I feel like it's yeah. weird how you know Forward always gets credit for this, and I feel like Carlo doesn't. Yeah, no, that's true. He, he he's he's a big part of it too. I mean, so just simply put, to answer your question, Scott, yes, I'd be willing to. Um, I'd be war- more willing to move Grizzly before Carlo. But if you're talking like a guy like like who are you talk who, who's in your who's in your crazy little mind right now? Like when you bring this up. Well, I mean the the big name is. One that they were also linked to last year, Jacob Chikorin. Um, yeah, that might be thought. that might be too big. Um, yeah, I'm trying that's to think of who big. else who else could be available. I mean, like like somebody like John Klingberg, I want no part of. Like people talk about him as no. like a defenseman. Like if it, it it would have to be Chikorin or like some like I who else would even be available that you're talking about? Like it's yeah, Chikorin, I would do it for absolutely. Now he has injury issues, but. He's had a great cap hit, and he's a top. He's a top two defenseman in this league. And uh, I'm sorry, top two defenseman on a, on a team in this league. So, yeah, yeah, and he's young, but that's also why you're gonna have to pay more for him and and uh, give up more. I, I don't know what they would want in return for that, which is the same question we had last year. Clearly, they didn't move him because they didn't think anyone was offering enough. It, it seemed like so. Um, I actually am really not worried about the way the defense is playing right now. Like I'm, I'm not worried that they need to make that big of a move. Um, they've been, they've been healthy. They have maybe, you know, bring Riley back or Strawman back. We mentioned, um, I don't know. I'm not panicking as of right now. Like, Oh, you need to get, you need to move X defenseman for a new version because um, like Scott, you mentioned, Carlo is a good penalty killer. You're 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 risking getting rid of someone who has a skill set um, that you might need during the playoffs for a guy that maybe you don't understand how he plays as well, or you're not exactly sure how he'll slot in. Whereas this year, you've been able to keep relatively similar six defensemen um, out on the ice ever since McAvoy and Grizzly came back. So you've been able to find the pairs that you think work and you know, some pairs work better against different matchups, but you've been able to look at all of those options. And now you've kind of got a good read on who your six guys are, and you might be able to manipulate that and use that to your advantage. Look, I like where this conversation is going. I, I, I think it's, I think we're cutting the small talk. We're getting to the, the nitty gritty. And I appreciate that because I, I do think it's a question that people are asking themselves. And the question is like, is this Bruins team as constituted? I understand their regular season record. I get it. But as Boston Bruins fans and New England sports fans, we understand the difference between a championship caliber team 
and a team that achieves regular season success. Now, I'm not saying this Bruins team isn't the former. They could win a cup. I think they could because of the, the landscape of the league. But people are reluctant to make moves at the deadline because they don't want to if, – if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? But we're not talking about a, a team that's gone to, like, multiple conference finals and cup finals in the last couple of years. Like, yeah, they did a 19, but they've been they, – for the most part, the last – no decade besides 2019 they they've been a they've been a one or two and done team so if you guys put your gm caps on right now yep. so if you're if if you're don sweeney and you look at those last three games what do you think this team needs and and, and i want you to i want you to do you not want to mess with chemistry i know scott you kind of asked me that but i'm going to ask you guys now do you not want to mess with chemistry where do you think this team can improve and and this is not based on the last three games necessarily. It's just like you know th- what the landscape of the league is. You know what this team might need. You've watched them all year. Um, do you buy into the the record all year in the sense that they don't need to change a thing? Or do you think they need to change a couple of things? I still buy into the record. Like I, I'm not at the point where I think they have to make a significant trade. Um, I still think adding depth is as I sit here right now, the way to go now there's over a month until the trade deadline. So that's plenty of time for me to potentially change my opinion. Um, But I, while I think chemistry can sometimes be overrated, I do put some stock in it. And like, obviously the vibes around this team have been extremely good this season. Uh, I would not be, I would not be looking to trade anyone off the active roster and unless it's for like a very clear upgrade. Like I saw, I think it was Frank Cervalli of daily Faceoff mentioned the possibility of including Carlo in a trade for Bo Horvat. And I feel like if he's mentioning that, like not that I think the Bruins have necessarily actively discussed that, but at least like someone's talking about, like he didn't just invent that out of thin air. Um, like, I don't like that idea because now, like, the, basically the trade would be something like Carlo plus pick prospect for Horvat and Shen. And to me, you're you're downgrading your defense too much in, in that trade. And, like, I know for – it's almost one of those things where, like, people, I feel like, you know, know what they know and don't know what they don't know. So it's like – people hear Luke Shen and hear that he leads the league and hits and think, Oh, that's an upgrade over Carlo. And it's like, no, it's not. He is not as good as Brandon Carlo. Like I guarantee you that right now, if you get Luke Shen and plug him into your top four, you're going to give up more goals. He is not as good defensively as Brandon Carlo. Um, so like, I don't like that trade because I feel like, yes, you're obviously upgrading your offense, bringing in Bo Horvat. And then you potentially sign to an extension and you have number one, son of the future and all that. But to me, you're downgrading your defense too much. And if, if anything, defense is where I would be looking to improve. And for me right now, I don't think that that necessarily has to be a clear upgrade to your top four, your top six. But I do want more depth there. And, you know, I mentioned it before, like you have Zaboral, Strawman, and Riley around. But I just feel like you're not really learning much about what you have there. Like, you know, Riley is what he is. If Grizzle goes down, he can be a perfectly fine replacement as kind of the puck moving guy and, and fill that role. I don't really see like who else he replaces on the blue line and, and fits into their role. Um, Strawman just started playing in the HL. So, you know, you're going to have to try to figure out where he is. Zaboral never plays. So, like they can say that he's practicing well and they have confidence in him and all that, but that kind of tells me that they don't really have all that much confidence in him and they aren't trying to get a good look at him before the trade deadline because they just keep letting him sit on the bench every game. Yeah, and and also that kind of brings back the conversation about um, load management. Like when you have the same six defensemen that you play in the lineup every night and you don't trust the world to come in, um, or you don't, you know, you're not willing to bring some of these guys back and let some other, some other guys rest. Obviously we're right now we're right up against 
a long break, so they'll be able to rest. But at some point later in the season, um, you're going to want to not be playing the same six guys on defense every night, especially if you're already in a really good position for the playoffs. And um, at that point, it's really you're you're probably beyond the trade deadline at this point that we're that we're talking about. So, um, yeah, no, I I agree with Scott that I would not be wanting to trade one of the active guys off the roster. Um, and that goes also to like locker room stuff, not just the fact that they've been playing well, like they, they work, um, you know, the chemistry is good together at locker room wise. Like sometimes you can, you can make a move that, you know, you're getting rid of a guy that is well liked and, you know, they, it also would suck for like Carlo. He thinks he's on a team that's about to win a Stanley cup and he's going to get, get that ring and, and play for a cup. And then you're, you know, you're moving them away. I don't know. I think that locker room wise, it's something you have to think about as a risk. See, I, I don't, I don't look at Carlo as the, as the guy who would be on the way out. I, I, I just, I, feel I just like literally to, just to, oh, I know, yeah. I know. It's Just it's the same same goes for him too. The same goes for him too. It's 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 it doesn't matter the player. I'm just saying like, you know, I like I would not I would not. First of all, that that Horvat Luke Shen combo thing. Like I'm with you, Scott. Like, you know, yeah, Horvat helps the forwards, but Shen for Carlo swap is not helping the defense. I was more so talking as a depth player, but like, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily want to mess with the the group they have. I like I like all their defensemen. I can just. I just, I would really hate to be sitting here in a couple of months and somebody takes a run at Matt Grizzlick in the playoffs and he, and he once again, isn't, isn't durable enough to, to be healthy for you for one reason or another. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not the GM. None of us are. There's no real perfect solution because this team is, they've played at a historic pace. They are clearly an excellent hockey team. We're, we're not. This is not us or me. This is not me picking them apart from the last few games. I could care less about the last three games. I'm glad that they happened. I want the I just want the team to be as good as they can be in the playoffs. And I want them to be balanced and deep and 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 not not have everything go to shit because one guy goes down. And um if there's one guy in the Bruins top six, I could see the Bruins moving because of his value um and 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 good cap hit and an upside would be a Mac Grizzly. Like no one's gonna no one's gonna want you know, a trade for Connor Clifton. He's going to be, he's a UFA. Like, like no one's going to want Derek. No one's itching at Derek Forbert. Like it's no non-playoff teams itching for Derek Forbert. Like, so for me, no one's getting McAvoy or Lindholm and every, every team knows that. So teams are going to be looking at Carlo and Grizzly, one of those two guys. And I feel like the Bruins would be quicker to move Carl, uh, Grizzly than Carlo. Um, so we'll see how it plays though. I, 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 I mean, do you, do you have a ton of confidence in, 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 in Grizz's durability in a playoff run? I mean, look, obviously it's, it's hard to, um, you know, I do think some of it with Grizzly is stuff where I'm like, well, what was he supposed to do? Like 2019 cup final that hit from, it was Sun Sunquist, right? Oscar Sunquist. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a dirty hit. Like I, it was from behind. I'm like, okay. So what? So Matt, Last year, the hit he gets hurt on from Pierre-Luc Dubois, I thought was also from behind. So it's like, okay, so Matt Grizzly has to be better at protecting himself from cheap shots. Like, all right, I, I don't know what I don't know what he's supposed to do about that. Like, if a guy's going to run him from behind and drill him, you know, shoulder first into the boards, like, yeah, he's probably going to get hurt. A lot of guys are probably going to get hurt on hits like that. Um, that said, like because he's smaller, he probably is more likely to get hurt on those hits. So it's like, yes, uh, dirty hits shouldn't happen and should be called and all that. But also like maybe a bigger guy is more likely to hold up to it. Um, you know, but Carlo has had issues too, and he's the biggest guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get it. Like I totally get why Bruins fans are, you know, nervous when it comes to Grizzly and Carlo in particular, just because we've seen it, we've seen them get hurt in the playoffs and, and we've seen it hurt the Bruins. Like it's not, you know, what gets me is like the people who think one or both of those guys like suck or aren't good or aren't valuable. 
And it's like, well, look, look, look what happens when they do get hurt in the playoffs. Like the Bruins suffer because they're good players and the Bruins miss them. Um, so again, if you can upgrade, sure. But like, I'm not, what I wouldn't want to do is any sort of deal where it's like Grizzly goes out and it's just for someone who bigger, who, you know, isn't more skilled or isn't necessarily a better all around player. Like I know Matt Grizzly can play with Charlie McAvoy. I know he can play with Brandon Carlo. And I know both of those guys tend to be better when he's with them. Uh, I'm not trading him just for more size beef because it's like, I've also seen Derek Forbert try to play with Charlie McAvoy and it doesn't go very well. So, you know, if you're bringing in say like a Forbert or something slightly better, just because we got to get bigger. Well, I don't know if that's really going to go all that well for you. Um, but if you're telling me that Grizzlick's included in a deal for Jacob Chikorin, all right, now my ears and eyes are open. Like now I'm very willing to consider that because that to me is a real upgrade. He's yeah, the only that's, guy that's an upgrade. Exactly. He's, he's, Chikrin's the only guy I'm willing to part for uh, Grizzlick and or Carlo plus for. Um so just let that be known. I, I'm not. I'm not changing this team outside of depth when it comes to the deadline. Chickren's uh, different. You know, I I heard somebody bring up like, would you be willing to move Lori as part of a chicken pack chicken package? And it's like, well, I know I know it's like taboo to like consider moving Lori or Lysel, but if you think about it, it's like Lori is like what 21 years old, 22, and and Chickren's like 24, 25. So like, if you could lock up. Chikrin and Lindholm and McAvoy is like three guys in your deep decor. And by the way, Chikrin's making like four and four and a half or something like that. So it's like, I mean, I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like yeah. there's no guarantees with Lori. He's not like, so people need to like not fall in love with the Bruins top prospects just because there are so few. And I think Lori has, has good potential, but like for Chikrin, absolutely. They're not even far apart in age and he's already an established guy. Now he has injury uh, history. Chikrin does, but, um, so that's another thing the Bruins could do too. Like you never know. Like I, I don't, one thing's for sure through all of Don Sweeney's uh, faults, he's not going to make this team worse at the deadline. I, I adamantly believe that. I don't think he's going to jeopardize a big time move and, and mess with chemistry. If he can add somebody, um, of impact without taking apart too much of the roster, I think he'll do it. Um, but I, I don't think the Bruins are going to tear this thing apart. Um, that's the wrong terminology. I don't think they're going to significantly change the, the grouping going into the playoffs um, or jeopardize it because they're too afraid that this team can't do it. Like I, they're going to trust this group. I think they're just going to add to it where it needs to be. I think that's my opinion. So that's what they should do. They yeah. shouldn't, they shouldn't do too much. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it and, and end up like trying to do all this calculus on how you can get, you know, your next, center and you know a defenseman and like sometimes it's just first of all the market might not even work where you can get it to fit under your cap or that they're not asking too much for someone that you want so all of that may be moot anyway if the Bruins don't have the pieces to move that or aren't willing to to move some of the the players that teams want anyway so definitely don't be baited into giving up more than you need to um, especially since we know a rebuild is probably around the corner. <laughs> so you got to be careful. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about that though. I really don't know. I really don't know if this Bruins team will ever rebuild that ownership won't allow it. Well, no, I just mean, don't give away parts of your future that you could yeah. be using to avoid sucking. Well, somebody, somebody yeah, who's well, been on the- and that, that's where like the, the trade and extend model that, you know, Don Sweeney clearly prefers uh, comes in. Like I'm much more willing to give, to give up a Lori or a Lysel if I'm locking up a Horvat to an extension or if it's Chickering who has term on his contract or whatever, like I'm more willing to do that. If I know I'm getting, you know, a proven NHL impact player for more than just a rental, then like Lysel and Lori aren't untouchable to me in the right deal. I don't want to trade those guys for a rental. Me neither. You know, our, uh, our good buddy, Andrew Raycroft uh, often says that um, he, dr- prospects could be overrated. Like if you can go out there and get a sure an NHL sure thing and extend it, like it's 
prospects are not well, guaranteed. Raycroft on, I think it was Gresham Fourier or maybe it was Arcan Mega. He appears on like all of our shows now. Um, he, he literally said like, just trade everything. He was like, he was like, whatever it takes to make this the best team possible. Like he's, yeah, <laughs> Razor is, he's all about trading picks and, and prospects. He would, I think I made this comparison before, but he would be the Los Angeles Rams of the NHL. If he were a general manager, like you'd be looking, you'd be like, well, we don't have a first round pick until 2028. But... <laughs> he's Dave. He's Dave Dombrowski. Yes. Yeah. Another good one. Um, and uh, you know, like I, I, we haven't talked about Thomas Nosek being out, but like, again, Nosek being out DeBrusque being out, they're two integral parts of your of your forward grouping for different reasons, and and them being out has definitely had an impact on this team too. And 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 the forward group is a lot more complete when they're both in there. So I'm with you. In conclusion, like I'm with you, Scott and and Bridget. I think you feel the same way. Like if the Bruins can add to this team, I, like I really want them to focus on defense. And if they can do that without taking away like everything, like yeah, I'm for. Like I'm not actively trying to get rid of Carlo or Grizzly. Scott brought the question up to me, would I be willing to if it was a significant upgrade? For me, the only upgrade I would even consider that would be would be for Chikrin. Um but I think the Bruins could possibly whatever. They could they can figure out how to get him on their own time. I'm not gonna spend t- time on that because we're up against it. But was there anything else you guys wanted to go over? Um we got one game before the the all star break, so it's in Toronto and no Austin Matthews. Um, really was just the only thing we haven't touched on in the last two games was McLaughlin coming in, like how he's been doing it. It's very, it's a very minor thing to talk about because I feel like his impact has been not super noticeable either direction. And I think you guys feel the same way that like he's come in and hasn't played bad, but hasn't done anything to spark. Like, you don't necessarily expect him to come in and provide a spark right away, but um, it just kind of someone that if you weren't watching and didn't know like, Oh, this person's getting their first chance of the year. If you didn't know to look for him, you might not have noticed him. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for him, but like probably the most noticeable play was the penalty he took on Sunday. It was an offensive zone penalty, which you never want to take, but some of that was also just a savvy veteran move from Paul Stastny kind of, Looked like he just felt McLaughlin's hand on him and, and spun into it to get the call. Um, I don't think Mark McLaughlin really like grabbed him all that hard to really spin him, but uh, he, he got his hand in the wrong spot and put himself in that position. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you, Bridget. Like other than that, it's I feel like he's been in the right place. He's made some right plays, but nothing dynamic that's really jumped off the page. And, but also, like, nothing terrible. Like, he wasn't one of the guys committing turnovers. So, like, okay, like, that's solid. Um, you know, probably hasn't done anything to play himself out of the lineup. Like, you know, maybe he sticks in for Wednesday. Maybe they go back to Copenhagen. I'm not sure there's really a huge difference between those two. Um, in theory, McLaughlin should have more finishing ability and provide a little more offensive pop obviously we haven't you know two games small sample but haven't seen that yet um did see it last year at times when he was up so you know there's that but like yeah he's he's been solid but he he also hasn't like blown you away where it's like oh he needs to be playing every game no and i do think copenin has the upside of the penalty killing that is stronger um than mclaughlin so if you're trying to replace one for one no sick with someone i feel like copenin might be more of a similar um player than mclaughlin is to him in terms of what roles he can play i don't think copenin played himself out of the lineup either so um i almost lean i i can't i i lean that way um but i like that he they were able to get mclaughlin in and when it's necessary, you know, they might need him again at some point. But I I feel like one for one, Copenin is a better um, option to replace Nosek. Uh, and it's it's kind of an insignificant thing. We're talking about like a fourth line role. And we also were talking about who should McLaughlin come in for because we actually said leave Copenin in and maybe take Smith out. 
but then Smith had a pretty decent game uh, in on Saturday, and he ends up scoring, and he's in people's faces the whole game. So he creates the turnover, and he scores on it. And it's like, in hindsight, you're like, okay, well, maybe we're wrong about that. But at the same time, like, that doesn't happen a lot for Craig Smith. We know he can do it, um, but he was able to impact Saturday's game. I'm glad I'm glad you brought brought up Craig Smith because in typical skate pod fashion, we bring somebody up and, <laughs> and then they end up scoring a goal. But um I thought that was Craig Smith's best game. And by the way, just a preface, like when we said when I when I said maybe put McLaughlin in for, for Craig Smith, um, I did say it, it wasn't because he was playing poorly. It was just you know, he was on the road trip, get him a chance to go in the lineup somewhere. I don't know. But um I thought that was Craig Smith's best game of the year and unfortunately for the Bruins, they ended up coughing up the the late lead and Barkov tied it and then they won it in overtime. But Craig Smith was also a factor in the game, what could have been the game-winning goal too because he had the nice offensive zone line change and Pasternak went over the boards for Craig Smith So um, and then scored two seconds later. So not only did Craig Smith score a goal of his own and was very noticeable all night and had some jump, but he also had an indirect um, you know, effect on the what again could slash should have been the game winning goal for the Bruins. So um, happy for him. He's definitely come along here in the last little while, and uh, you know we'll we'll see what ends up happening with him if the Bruins try to move off him or or keep him for 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 depth purposes. There's, I mean, you don't want to just actively get rid of him for no reason. Um, but I'm glad for him that he's had some some good fortune in the last uh, couple of weeks here. And not for nothing, but with Hall up, like the experiment of Hall on the first line has put Smith back on the third line. So like he's been able to play not not just those fourth line minutes um, with Hall moved out of that spot on the third line. So um, it's just worth mentioning. I think that he played well Saturday and also it was in somewhat of a different role. Yeah, he was kind of like toggling between that third and fourth line. I was just trying to look up what he ended up with minutes. So like minutes-wise, he was still low Sunday, 10.07, um, because they were also like moving Felino up to the third line. Um, you know, Frederick comes back from injury and seemed okay. Played 14 minutes, so didn't really seem like he was, you know, banged up or limited at all. So Bruins survive a little bit of a scare there. Obviously again, wouldn't have been the biggest deal in the world if he misses a game or two right before the all-star break, but um, good that he was able to, to stay in the lineup and not miss any time. Also the Bruins had six power plays on Sunday. So you're not going to see Craig Smith come out really for that too. So that can limit your time when you're a bottom six guy. Um, you have a kind of a disjointed game yeah. and, and, I think he actually saw it. He he ended up getting some power play time in the second unit, though they kind of threw him into the bumpers. So, you know, another little change that Montgomery tried that again didn't really lead to anything. But yeah, the Bruins definitely should have just deferred those power plays towards the yeah. latter half of that game. <laughs> if I if I was, I'd be like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We, we got to fix this in practice. We're not going to do anything with this anyway. So, um, but yeah, I I look. I think the Bruins um they need to put put together a good effort in Toronto on Wednesday, don't they? I mean, it, it, you don't want to go into two weeks of um, of a bad taste in your mouth on a four-game losing streak. I mean, even if you lose against Toronto, and as I mentioned, they have no, they have no Austin Matthews, so there's no excuse for it if they if they lose. But at the very least, you want to put forth an effort where you feel like you should have come out with two points. So I think that's very important for the Bruins on Wednesday, no? Yeah, and like, yes, technically, you know, I guess still part of the road trip, but the Bruins did come home after the Carolina game. So they're home Monday, Tuesday, practicing at warrior on Tuesday and then heading to Toronto. So to me, like that's almost like a, a new trip when you get that stop home in the middle, like to me that like the road trip's over. So um, yeah, there shouldn't be any excuse. And to your point, Brian, like it, it would really suck if like for as good as, as great as this team has been, to now go into your week and a half off losing four straight. Like it, on, on one hand, it would certainly give them quite the motivation to come back strong and be like, okay, guys, we actually still have work to do. Like, you know, let's not be this team. 
Um, but on the other, like they, they should in the bigger picture, like be able to go into the all-star break feeling good about themselves. And in a win in Toronto would help that um, it would be just like knowing this team and these players, like, I think it'd be really tough for anyone to like really feel great if they're going in on a four game losing streak. And before we wrap up, just a question, because I, I know uh, Razor was talking about this in the post game. You go, I, I assume you go Swayman in Toronto and then you, because you're going to want, like Allmark is not resting the entire all-star break because he's heading down. He's traveling down to Florida and he's playing in the game. So, um, and if you're alternating back and forth, it's a Swayman game anyway. So um, I feel like that's probably what we'll see in Toronto. I don't know if, what you guys think. Is that yeah, the right Yeah, I think. I think that makes sense. I'd probably go Swayman. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't hurt to get Swayman uh, a chance to kind of not redeem, um, but, you know, get a chance to get back in the wind column after the way that Florida game ended. Um, you know, I think the, the tying goal was through a screen. It's what it is. He he said himself he was a little deep in his net. Uh, the overtime goal, which, by the way, we didn't really touch on that overtime much. Um Pretty shit effort by the Bruins and because there. it ended in like under well, three seconds. They didn't touch the puck, right? I mean, no. Hey, Charlie McAvoy did touch the puck. It deflected off his stick on its way in. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, um, what about the own goal <laughs> by, by Bennett? Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> but then he came back and scored later. But like, well, you know, sometimes all it takes is for one to go in for you, you get confidence, you get another one. <laughs> that's all, yeah, that's all that. Two. That's all that means. Um. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think Swayman probably in Toronto. Um, and I think the Bruins could use this break for sure. Uh, rest up, heal up, go into it feeling good if you can, and then um, you know, come back and and it's kind of a it's a sprint for many teams to the to the playoffs, not necessarily for the Bruins. Um, but if they don't if they don't keep taking care of business, then you never know. It's possible home ice in the conference could be up for grabs towards the end of the year. So it's it'd be good for the Bruins to keep winning at least like a, you know, six, seven hundred winning percentage pace the rest of the way. But um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, before we go, um, I do want to bring up one thing because I'm catering to my audience here because Bridget is a college broadcaster and Scott is a. Uh, a terrier alum and the bean pot is, is coming mm-hmm. up. So I wanted to maybe give a quick little couple minute preview on that. And Bridget, I don't know if you're a part of any of the uh, broadcasts for the bean pot. If not, you should be. Um, um, <laughs> I would love to be, but I think that's like a Tom Karen game. Like he gets those like good specials, okay, yeah. those special games, but I, I actually at the same time, this is the one event I get to go to as a fan and I like that's college hockey that I'm not broadcasting and I love it. And I have first row seats on the glass. So I'm just going to get my beer and, and just enjoy Like actually have a beer at a hockey game <laughs> and sit there. And, and I love sitting glass because, you know, we're up on the ninth floor and we say that, see the same perspective over and over, you know, on TV, on the ninth floor in the broadcast booth when I'm doing it for college. And I just want to sit on the glass and have a beer. So yeah, I was at I was at the BUBC game on Friday as a fan, and uh, same same thing. Like rare opportunity to actually have a beer at a game because not allowed in the press box. Can't Scott have beer usually, with my popcorn. Yeah, um, yeah. I was gonna say Scott just hammers popcorn instead. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh. So I mean, B swept BC this weekend, and big series uh, for Bruins prospects in particular. Ty Gallagher had two goals uh, Friday night against BC. Um, Andre Gasso scored on Saturday. Trevor Kuntar had a goal on Friday. Um, thought Gallagher looked really good. The the BC guys had a couple of those goals, but I thought were also pretty quiet um, for stretches of those games. But BU BU looks pretty legit. Like, they are so deep offensively and so relentless offensively. Like, they can just overpower teams. I'm not entirely sold on their defense and goaltending just yet but man like they they're they're like the Bruins like they can just roll four lines and just wear teams down so the bean pot is is be used to lose is what you're saying I think so I think I think Harvard has a really good team this year too and and some offensive firepower Sean I mean Sean Farrell's one of the leading scorers in the country um so you know, I would pick Harvard and BU to get to the finals. 
and then see what happens. Um, but also, Northeastern still has Devin Levi as their goalie, and he can just steal a game at any time. So uh, that's definitely a wild card. I very recently broadcast a game for Harvard, um, Harvard at Yale, and they are a really good team. So many prospects, so many guys that are drafted to the NHL, but they also did have to go to overtime to beat Yale and Yale's not good. So um, I think, you know, that's more of like an, I really gravel thing where Yale's going to play them tight no matter what, but I, just to say that they're deep, they are, they have a lot of NHL draft picks. They have like, I don't know, in their forward group, they have like two or three guys that aren't drafted. Uh, they have Jamie Langenbrenner's son. Uh, he's a big defenseman. I don't know, they have they have a lot of really good players. So if you're trying to figure out how to how to um, keep distracted during the Bruins, uh, I guess All Star break, you'll have some bean pot action. I think the Super Bowl might be during that time as well, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So so there's some stuff to watch, and then um, yeah. So Bruins suffer their first consecutive losing streak of the season. I guess it would be their first losing streak. That's why it's a streak. Um, and, but, you know, here on the skate pod, it's, it's, it's no cause for, for panic or alarm. I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's a good thing for the Bruins, for the players, for the coaches, for management to, to understand, you know, what went wrong and, and how to address it going forward. And, uh, it's a long season. So, uh, one blip on the radar is not gonna, not gonna get this podcast too, too worked up. So, uh, if you guys are all set, I think, uh, at this point we're good to go. Right. All, all good. Set. All right, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you soon.